The Athletic. Totally football show today. Up top, young guns having some fun. Crazy Man United keep them on the run. Down below, hornets and bees look buzzing. Everton look busted. We've got hot takes on the weekend's news and the matches midweek. Everton, Newcastle, Man United, Atletico, Arsenal, Liverpool, and more. Plus the last quarter-final place up for grabs in a dramatic instalment of the Intertotally. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday the 14th of March, listener, big hello to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this week kicks off on Totally with Daniel Story, uh, Charlie Eccleshare, and I'm excited to say the return of Denji Flanyabo. Sorry, uh, Benji Lanyardo. <laughs> Benji. Thanks, Jimbo. Nailed it. Yep, that's the name. That's right. I should just explain that that's, that, that that's one of the many names that you've been calling by people who just can't get their heads around. Benji Lanyardo of Pickfair. Didn't you once get introduced on the one show as Benji Lanyano? Correct. Yeah, there's um, there's many different permutations of my name that have been <laughs> attempted over the years. But I've got to say, actually, Jimbo, you've nailed it since day one. So I'm, th- I'm thankful yeah, for that. Yeah, I mean, me and names, I'm legendary for that. Um, <laughs> right. What were you doing on the one show? Oh, I can't remember some nonsense when I was a travel journalist. Oh, I was um, telling Giles Brandreth about Twitter, actually, is what I was doing. Really? It's a parallel universe. You'll never yeah. catch on, Giles. <laughs> Crikey. All right. Well, Charlie, uh, good morning to you as well. You're in the Intertotally later, so you'll be excited. Or cripplingly nervous, one of the two. All right. Okay. And and a man beaming the happy smile of a fellow who's already conquered his place in the quarterfinals, Daniel Story. Daniel. Yeah, it feels a nicer show, this one, rather than popping in for some (laughs) existential angst on a Thursday. All right. Well, plenty of that. In store as we romp through the weekend's results and yeah, cast the odd eye forward to what's happening midweek. Uh, the results, anyway, Liverpool kicked off the Premier League weekend with a 2 0 win at Brighton to move three points behind leaders Man City. City play Monday night at Crystal Palace. At the other end of the table, Norwich lost at Leeds, Burnley fell to Brentford, while Watford won at Saints. The Hornets now in 18th place and only goal difference behind Everton after the Toffees got beaten at home by Wolves their fifth defeat in six under Lampard. Also, a Cristiano Ronaldo held Manchester United back to a 3-2 win over Spurs in a clash of top four contenders. Chelsea beat Newcastle 1-0 in the ill-gotten gains derby. West Ham beat Villa 2-1 in the confusing to David Cameron Classico. And Arsenal saw off Leicester to hold on to fourth place. They're one point clear of Manchester United now with three games in hand. One of those games, coming up on Wednesday night, and it sees Arsenal at home to Liverpool, which is a big one. So, let's kick off with the Gunners. This is Achilles' heel. Chance for Arsenal to expose it again. And they have done. It's almost on cue, isn't it, really? Thomas Partey just stood by the near post and flicked it in. Woo! All right, 2-0 Arsenal against the Foxes late on Sunday in the presence of Daniel Story at the Emirates, Daniel. Arsenal yeah. having fun. Yes, they, they were. It's a, it's a pleasant feeling to watch. It, it, it still feels like you're watching Arsenal in August or September when things don't really matter so much and everyone's having a, a lovely old time uh, before they get 
sort of tensed up by nerves and the uh, the gravity or potential of the situation they find themselves in. And from minute one to 90, I never thought that they wouldn't win the game. Um, it helped that Brendan Rodgers chose to rest players for, for the Europa Conference League, which, as producer Charlie said to me before the show, is very much a new phrase in football lexicon. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, they were absolutely brilliant. The, the partnership between Xhaka and Party is is key to this whole thing because they seem to have finally worked out when one of them should go forward and the other one should stay rather than either them both staying and it feeling a bit sluggish or them both going and Arsenal being kind of left open to, to counter-attacks. They've got that absolutely right and it allows whoever Arteta picks in front of them to just sort of run at will and create chances and gamble freely in the sun and it was, it was yeah, it was really, really, really enjoyable to watch. Mm. I mean, what's interesting with Xhaka, he, he's playing a lot of the time now, Partey almost as a one-man defensive midfield pivot and because he's playing so well, he can do that. Xhaka playing a bit, a bit in front of him on the left, Odegaard a bit in front of him on the right. And it's working really well. It's, it's got a really nice balance to it. And, and, and it's almost giving them an extra man because Partey is, at times it feels, doing the job of two players. He, he's honestly, he's playing, he's playing that well. And he's, this is the Thomas Partey I think Arsenal fans hope they would have straight away. And it didn't really happen. You know, last season there were flashes where you thought, okay, that's this Atletico Madrid elite midfielder and there are others up until this season actually where he looked really off the pace him finding his best form has made an enormous difference to this team and, and Xhaka as Daniel says you know he, he's someone who you know, much maligned I think uh, fair to say but he uh, you know and obviously you're thinking he's playing well until his next madcap moment but for the moment he's uh, he's really important to this team and, and how fluent they look as is Odegaard I mean an, another unbelievable performance from him and there's something so funny about him because he's he's obviously very skillful. You know, he he did this really nice flick by the right touchline, but it never feels at all showy. It feels like it's just a construct of this enormous footballing brain he has. And in this split second, he's worked out that a drag back flick is the best way to get from A to B. Um, and yeah, when he plays well, Arsenal play well. It's um, at the risk of blowing too much hype. Um, to, to mix my metaphors. There's an element of Dennis Bergkamp with that in the Arsenal connection, in that that was exactly what Bergkamp would do. He, he even said in his autobiography, these aren't skills. These are the easiest way for me to get job A done and create a pass or create a moment. And if people aren't expecting it, that only makes it more effective. So, yeah, I mean, clearly he's nowhere near those levels yet, I should caveat. But there's something about that in that it, it, it looks skillful, but as Charlie says, it doesn't look showy. Yeah, I've got to say, as someone who generally revels in Arsenal's frequent capitulations, this is a quite a tough time, actually, because they are not only playing beautiful football with this sort of maestro in the middle with Odegaard, they're really likeable as a team at the moment. Just little, and even the little sort of funny aesthetic flourishes with its Kieran Tierney sort of tucked in shirt or Smith Rose socks. And, and the fact that Lacazette is playing so selflessly, he's doing the sort of classic French number nine, play great, don't score. They're From front to back, they're, they're a really likeable team, which I think is not something you've been able to say about Arsenal for quite a while. And it's also, it's also an advert for why you should not get into European football. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're not playing midweek anymore. And you can tell the kind of the vim with which they're playing is pretty extraordinary at the moment. Right. That's from a man who's just seen his side defeated 1-0 away in Seville and is heading along, I think, on Thursday to see the return leg. 
Yeah, I also I was supposed to go to Seville, but my passport didn't renew in time, so I'm I'm, I'm feeling all sorts of just, emotions. Just at the bitter, yeah. All right. But well. also, we get, also we're against the team who are in that Thursday Sunday mm. routine, mm. Um, mm. and yeah. and it did show. And I, I do wonder if a slight if if the away goal still existed, two mm. nil is a really really good result. Without it, that tie is a little bit more in the balance. Right. That made That's Leicester two nil up against Ren in. That Europa Conference League. On the subject of Leicester, football is a simple game. 22 men chase a ball for 90 minutes and at the end, Leicester concede from a corner. Yeah, at least they got it done quickly this week. So there was it wasn't kind of hanging in the back of supporters' <laughs> minds. And I obviously, I went down from, from Loughborough to, to London on the train and that stops at Leicester and therefore there are huge amounts of Leicester fans on the, on that train. And it, it, I've said it before on this show, but it's amazing to hear the kind of not anti-Rogers rhetoric, but this kind of sort of deflation that they now feel that they thought he was the guy to bring back another marvellous era. And, uh, you know, not even a year on from winning the FA Cup, which is a, a, a massive achievement for Leicester. They feel like he's squandered those gains pretty spectacularly through through team selection and through, through conceding, constantly conceding from corners. Well, excuse me, says Brendan, if I've prioritised our chance to actually win a European trophy uh, this yep. season. They're, they're actually. I, I didn't. I looked last night after the game, and they're very clear favourites that competition ahead of Roma and Marseille, which is uh, surprised me. I suppose shows the power of the the, the Premier League. But um, yeah, why shouldn't they? And it's also their their best route into the Europa League now. In fact, their mm. only route into the Europa League next season. Assuming they would want one. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, five Premier League wins in a row for Arsenal now, and nine wins from their last eleven in the league. Only last week I was still expressing some kind of residual muscle memory doubt over Arsenal's newfound top four validity. But uh, yeah, I guess we get another really, really major test then on Wednesday night when they host Liverpool. There's been a lot of talk post-game, post the Leicester win, that this is a different Arsenal from the likes of Odegaard and Arteta. When you look at their recent results against Liverpool, it really will need to be a different Arsenal. Uh, their recent results... Uh, 2-0 for Liverpool at the Emirates in the League Cup only this January. 4-0 for Liverpool in the reverse fixture in November at Anfield. And 3-0 to Liverpool in uh, Klopside's visit last season. Crikey. In fact, the Gunners have failed to score in their last five meetings with Liverpool in all competitions. Crikey. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible match-up that. I mean, broadly speaking, to beat Liverpool, you either need to be unbelievably good at playing out from and beating their press, or you need to be a Burnley who just bypassed the press. Obviously, Arsenal aren't going to do the latter, and traditionally, they haven't been good enough to do the former. Whether the, you know, And it will be a test of how much they've improved, because City, they've had a similar dynamic against City and routinely been battered against them. Obviously, then in January, they played really, really well and were quite unlucky to lose. I actually feel in a way that Villa is the bigger game of the week. I think Liverpool, um, they wouldn't expect to lose as such, but it's it's a game that all of their rivals will lose. I think... Villa is a really, really big game. And it's important to say as well, you know, Arsenal under Wenger would often finish fourth despite getting battered by the teams who finished first, second and third. The important thing was that they were pretty consistent against uh, the others. And that's kind of what Arsenal have done this season as well. I mean, they lost to United. They lost to Chelsea. They lost twice to City. They've lost to Liverpool. So they haven't even picked up a point against last season's top four. But at the moment, it hasn't mattered. So I think... If you offered most Arsenal fans beating Villa, they they take that and accept a, another defeat to Liverpool. 
Which is why as well the league is slightly deceptive with the games in hand because two of Arsenal's games in hand are Chelsea away and Liverpool at home and then another oh. is Spurs away. So their oh. position is a lit the whole game in hand thing is a little bit of a red herring. Oh, that, hmm, that puts it in perspective. Liverpool coming off that 2-0 win at Brighton. That's their eighth Premier League victory in a row. Brighton's fifth Premier League defeat in a row. Uh, Mo Salah from the spot for one goal, the other from Luis Diaz. How is Luis Diaz after being absolutely Patrick Bat- Batistond? <laughs> Remarkably, he seems OK. Um, yeah, I think he's fine. I think the, the bigger worry for Liverpool is actually the other goal scorer because Mohamed Salah limped off late on and there's no word quite yet if he's going to be fit for, for the Arsenal game uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Diaz is is massive in that game because if Arsenal do have a weakness at the moment, it's probably mm. Cedric at right back. He's played pretty well, but is is get-attable, I, I think. Uh, and Diaz is the um, the manner in which he's hit the ground running literally in the Premier League is is pretty remarkable he he looks just like a, you know the perfect Klopp attacker and a, and a player who seems to create space for for Salah on the other side because I think inevitably defenses used to sort of shift over a little bit which is what used to give Diogo Jota quite a lot of room i think now it's it's almost you know you can't do that because Diaz is in such good form Jota and Firmino also have very very good records against Arsenal so even if Salah were to miss out, that wouldn't, uh, yeah, wouldn't be too reassuring to the Arsenal defence. Mm. Seeing reports that uh, Mo Salah uh, has turned down a contract offer from Liverpool and that talks since then have now stalled. His current deal expires in 2023. Any, any word on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's as simple as that. He, he, his he and or, and or his agent, Rami Abbas, have a figure in mind that Liverpool have not yet matched. And... It's it's hard to know what to think because I think Salah seems eminently likable. He seems quite a pure footballer, and yet you do wonder at which point you know your love for the club and how well it's gone at Liverpool and and their role in your success. How much that extra forty, forty five, fifty thousand pounds a week really matters? Um, it's a very easy thing to say. It's a very easy thing to criticise footballers for, but I I can't quite believe that he will go somewhere on a free and or semi-ruin his relationship with Liverpool fans over that figure, but maybe he will. Also, now surely is quite a good time to sell. I mean, it, might, it might sound unthinkable, but he, what, he's 29? They, they've got a, a Champions League and a league title out of him. Someone stupid will pay stupid money for him. So do it now. They're already two-thirds of the way through the replacement job with, with um, Jota and, <coughs> and Diaz. You throw in... You know, another couple with it, you know, Rafinha or Bowen they're consistently linked with and, and the job's done. So yeah, sell now if I was Liverpool. He turns thirty in June, so by the time his contract expires he'll be just turned thirty one. And we've and the the issue with players like him is when they you we don't know if they're gonna, you know, stay at their level or whether they'll do a kind of Aubameyang, Ozil, Hazard, these kind of players. And I know some of those players have had injuries, Salah hasn't really in the same way. But the problem you get is that if they do keep him Klopp will want you would have thought to rotate, you know, have him by the time he's thirty-one. Maybe he'll stay at his level in a kind of slightly rotational system with all the other great forwards he has. But how up for that will Salah be? And does it then become a massive story like we've had with Ronaldo this season, when whenever he's just rotated or rested, it's uh, Ronaldo's not happy. He wants out. Da, 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 da. I think that's and, and we've seen mm. that with Arsenal many times. Players they've given long contracts to. That's the sort of saga. You could really do without. So I, I, I do wonder if there is any temptation to, to cash in now. 
as much as that sounds like heresy, because he is obviously still so good. Mm. Of course, the recent experience with cashing in on Coutinho and the side they built from that will will be a comfort to Liverpool fans through these trying times, although uh, some of the brains behind the uh, transfers in that uh, rebuilding are no longer with the club. Anyway, Brighton, meantime, a quick mention for them. Worst run in the Premier League since they were promoted in 2018. Yikes. You gave us a two-word answer for why this was happening uh, last week. Is that still the same, Daniel? Uh, again, true to form, slightly more than two words. Oh. But the interesting thing is, that, I mean, they're basically awful against the best teams in the league. Right. Uh, they've played 12 games against the top against teams currently in the top half and haven't won any of them this season, which is weird because last season they couldn't beat any of the bottom four. And this season, I think the bottom... I think I think this is the bottom four clubs account for about 40% of Brighton's points this season, which is hmm. weird. It's it's an odd season for that in the Premier League where teams can kind of fly and plummet very quickly in mid-table but only ever move about four or five positions. Right, there's a quite a safety net. Mm. Quite a bouncy castle below them. Mm. Uh, Adam and Webster were the, the two words I was thinking they of. Were. And the absence thereof would be three additional ones. Uh, that... <laughs> He's coming up on Wednesday, Arsenal against Liverpool. But uh, Charlie's point about who Arsenal's games in hand are against is a telling one and perhaps gives some hope to Man United, who won their first game in four. United three points behind Arsenal. They also have a massive game this midweek in this season's Champions League. But let's talk about the 3-2 victory over Spurs next. Cheltenham Festival. Four days of racing and home to the greatest rivalry you've never heard of. That's right, Britannia. The Irish are coming and they quite fancy taking all your silverware. But don't worry, here at Paddy Power, we plan on giving back with a whopping £15 in free bets online. Get a £5 free bet on any race on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Plus, get all the latest tips from the experts at paddypowernews.com. The battle for Cheltenham glory begins on March the 15th. Paddy Power. Max one free £5 bet per customer per day. T's and C's apply. Please gamble responsibly. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Corner from the right, the header is magnificent! Cristiano Ronaldo! Unbelievable! 14 years after his first Manchester United hat-trick, he gets his second. Man United 3, Spurs 2... Saturday at Old Trafford. Charlie was there. Did you get your selfie with Tom Brady, Charlie? <laughs> I didn't, unfortunately. He was he was sat pretty close, though. He was one of the, he would have been so wasted on me. I have no real knowledge of NFL, so I, mm. I would have felt like a real fraud going up there and saying, right. "Love your work, Tom." But yeah, okay. um, a man who knows a thing or two about sporting excellence, of course. All right. Yeah, well, in, in, indeed, a victory this anyway for for, for United, which left uh, Spurs as deflated as the footballs that Tom uh, famously. Through in this controversial, yeah, nice. There you go. Hip flexing's Cristiano Ronaldo, the key man here. Is that right? <laughs> I, I think that would be fair to say. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Ronaldo's such a funny one. I mean, he's 
he he feels like this big bully who we're all happy to slag him off behind his back and say, you know, actually, if you look at the numbers, he makes United worse. But we're all petrified of him playing against our teams. And I put that out on Thursday. I said, you know, we all know about Ronaldo that actually, if you look at FB ref, United's PPDA decreases or whatever it is. But realistically, Spurs fans, who of you actually would rather he started than didn't? And a few were bold enough to say, yeah, I trust that he's not very good anymore. But most were like, get him the hell away from that pitch. And mm. they were right because he, you know, I, I don't think that argument is, uh, is wrong necessarily that they can look a lot less coherent uh, as a team when he plays. But he is also capable of doing stuff like this. And it's this fear, which is why most opposition teams would rather he wasn't on the pitch. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant. Playing a slightly different role as well. I mean, there were periods in the first half when he was dropping into a kind of defensive midfield role and just knocking passes around. Almost it looked like he wanted to boost his numbers and show people that, aha, I can get more than just three touches a game. But the goals were sensational. I mean, the first one, I've seen a few people saying shades of that Porto one in 2009. Wasn't quite that far out, but a similar trajectory. The header is unreal. I mean, so few players can, you know, can attack the ball like that. Uh, and the middle one, a kind of good poacher's goal but just frustrating for Spurs because especially in the first half they really had the better of it and just as they'd worked to get that equaliser spit sloppy defending slack off sideline and Ronaldo puts um, United ahead uh, so yeah it, it just felt like a bit of a missed opportunity for Tottenham because I think if they'd beaten United that would pretty much be it for United in the top four um, and it felt like it was there for them but as is the case in the kind of broader context of the top four feeling there for Spurs as well they're not quite at the moment uh, grasping the opportunity I was, I was also quite struck by Ronaldo's positioning I think it, it feels that when when the kind of Ronaldo Bruno dissonance is removed altogether mm. United make more sense so what you know one or the other and not both and that you know Ronaldo's first goal that was a Bruno goal from a Bruno position and and, mm. and you can imagine Bruno you know in his sickbed thinking oh for f- not one part of him being pleased about that yeah yeah exactly and and I think you know they they need it's like they can only have one headliner Um, and when it's one or t'other it it seems more more coherent also by the way from from an England perspective it's so good seeing um, Sancho looking a little bit more like the kind of the Dortmund Sancho and the thing that is different or feels different about Sancho, you know, compared to the Sancho we saw at the beginning of the season is, is his decision-making. You know, it's easy to forget at, at Dortmund, he was more or less nailed on for a you know, goal or an assist every game because he'd get into those positions on the byline or in the box and he'd either score or he'd cut it back. Um, so, yeah, that was fantastic. And conversely, Rashford, oh, dear. Like, he just looks broken at the moment. There was one break when... when um, United were two and up, and now it was it was you know thirty seven year old Ronaldo leading the break, and I don't think Rashford crossed the halfway line. He didn't participate. You know there is I I, I really feel for him. It's it's a, it's a sad thing to see at the moment. I think on the on the Ronaldo thing, I mean, I, I don't particularly warm to him as a person, but you kind of have to admire. After all the criticism, he produces this kind of greatest hits of his career to show what he can do. It starts with the. As Charlie said, the the goal which had slight shades of the Porto 09, which was that came at the kind of the end of the eighteen months that he was establishing himself as a as a an elite goal scorer, not as a winger. Then he scores this poacher goal, which was kind of early era Real Madrid, where he'd just be in the right place at every time. And he ends it with this header, which is this kind of third age of Ronaldo, where he's just 
it seems like half his time is spent hanging in the air waiting for crosses mm. and still being in exactly the right, right place when they come. And he loves that criticism. He really does. There's no doubt that he feeds off it. And I just wonder if that, that spell out the team has kind of Oof. almost just sort of re-energised him to say, oh, I, I thought I'd scored, you know, I think he's, he's, he's scored 12 league goals now. And I think he almost thought, you know, I'm doing okay. If you want to obsess on numbers, look at the goals I've scored this season. It's going okay. And there's no doubt that he has been kind of pushed to to try and drag United into that top four race, which I didn't think he would, I have to say. Brilliant. Also, playing alongside Fred must kind of you know bring out the best in him too. What an assist. <laughs> he's Fred playing. is really good. Yeah, yeah he's really playing good. this kind of all-action midfielder role, isn't he? Mm. Flick for the assist. There was a nutmeg on Benton Kerr and um, his anticipation was very good as well. Quite a few interceptions. Um, yeah, it was impressed with him. Excellent. I suppose, Charlie, you were saying you felt unlucky not to get something from this game. Harry Maguire did his best to help help them out with that own goal. I read actually that own goal is actually Tottenham's third highest scorer this season. Mm. Mm. Finally providing that backup for Kane and Son that they've been right. looking for for so long. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of comment about Christian Romero's uh, getting in Harry Maguire's face in the immediate the, aftermath. The instant karma of that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I w- I'm not sure they were unlucky as such, more that they they missed an opportunity. I felt like it was there for them and they didn't really capitalise. Well, that's what they do. Win, then lose, then win, then lose, then win, then lose, and so on. Uh, the top four race then, huge result that for Man United, especially after the drubbing they had in the derby. And also uh, another example of them winning games against sides around them in in that kind of cluster battling for top four. What do you think? I think it's it has to be Arsenal's to lose now. They they seem the team that are, have got it most together. Um, there seems to be a a growing kind of permanency to Arteta's reign, which I don't think was there for the first. 18 months in charge but he really does feel like the Arsenal manager now the the hot takes in in both directions appear to have temporarily been halted which is is good for everyone most of all him the the question obviously comes when they eventually lose a game which may well be against Liverpool but we are seeing a slightly different Arsenal that those defeats aren't necessarily causing this kind of you know, this panic stations that, mm. that used to happen where they'd then go and lose three games in a row. So, yeah, I think it's Arsenal's to lose. As for Man United, they have this big game midweek uh, Tuesday when they're at home to Atletico Madrid, 1-1 in the first leg, which, Daniel, you saw. Mm. What do you think? Well, I, I, if there was a, a time for, for Cristiano Ronaldo to get back into form, uh, this was it, because he loves playing against Atletico Madrid as well. Um, mm. It feels set up for him to to win the tie. United were, were dreadful for long periods away from home in Madrid, but that doesn't matter if you manage to get a draw. Uh, obviously, the away goals thing, the, the change of that rule means that the draw there is is kind of less important or the goal they scored is, is slightly less important. But uh, I think they'll win the tie, I do. Atletico this weekend beating Cadiz. 2-1, that's their fourth straight win in the league. But as you say, Cristiano Ronaldo, Atletico is his favourite opponent. He scored 25 goals in 36 against them. And in fact, Atleti have been knocked out by whichever team Ronaldo is playing for in five of their last seven appearances in the knockout stages. So had you posed your Twitter question to them, 
Charlie, I think we know what their answer would be. Anyway, that's coming up on Tuesday. The other Champions League games this week. Tuesday, we'll see Ajax take on Benfica. That's 2-2 from the first leg in Lisbon. On Wednesday, Juve will be hosting Villarreal 1-1 from the game in Spain. And Lille will be getting a visit from a minivan with Thomas Tuchel and some Chelsea players in it, by the sound of it. Chelsea 2-0 up from the game at Stamford Bridge. Huh. All right. We'll be talking about all those games in Tuesday's Totally Football Show European edition, in which we'll also touch on other stories like the remarkable Paris Saint-Germain against Bordeaux game, which saw PSG fans expressing the full force of their displeasure at their Champions League exit, booing Neymar and Messi. I do like the way that Marquinhos and Kimpembe, who were absolutely shambolic in that second <laughs> half. It's almost damning. It's almost like damning them with faint praise. Right? Like we're so, We were so bad that you don't even bother booing us because there was no expectation. Indeed. Chelsea, anyway, are going to be taking on Lille. We'll be talking about what they got up to against Newcastle and the relegation picture next. Keep listening for Charlie Eccleshare versus James Horncastle in the Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's live-ish. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Chelsea, Newcastle. Newcastle were on a nine-game unbeaten run coming into this clash at Stamford Bridge. Were they unlucky not to take anything uh, against non-brand Chelsea? Firstly, perhaps for that Shalabar penalty. Secondly, to be on the receiving end of that absolutely incredible, where did that come from, Kai Havertz winning goal. Crikey, what a goal that was. I thought you were going to say, where did that come from, Kai Havertz elbow in the first mm. half. Which oh, yeah, also. Yeah. Also, Probably should have been a red card. Yes, Newcastle. To answer your question, Newcastle were unlucky. Uh, it mm. was a brilliant goal, but I don't think Havertz should have been on the pitch. And 
the Chalabar penalty was it's just bizarre, really. Really I weird. I can't work out what, you know, let's not go into the VAR again, but it seemed mm. an astonishing call. How that was sanctioned, if you'll, you know, excuse the play on words. Yeah. Anyway. I, just, I don't know if we want to, if we're finishing the football, I want to talk about Chelsea. But Always. Well, the, so I, the, I believe they're going to best bids on Friday. Ah. Um, and, Is that a shop on and, the high street or what? It's. I think. I think it's blind bids. I think ultimately, and and it looks like Nick Candy wants to wants to take it off of, of Roman's hands or the the trust hands. Right. And I think what I think we're about to see is Chelsea absolutely getting away with it because the. I, I guess you can argue at the moment that you you can have a debate about Roman Abramovich's direct or indirect relation with with the Russian state with Putin, but you you can't argue with how he made his money. And they, they, the house is currently on fire. And the, the fire is going to be put out and Chelsea are going to be sold. And they'll be sold for a lot of money. And what, what, what he's done with that wealth can't be undone. You know, the, the sanctions aren't going to take away Chelsea's two Champions Leagues. They're not going to change the brand that has been created with that money. They're not going to, uh, on a personal note, they're not going to return Frank Lampard, Joe Cole and Glenn Johnson to West Ham circa... Uh, 0203. Uh, but I just think that we, we're very quickly we're going to get into a situation where Chelsea are absolutely fine um, and, and yet all of what has been created with what is being sanctioned remains. Um, mm. So yeah, let, let's, let's see what happens on Friday. Isn't that, uh, isn't that okay in that the sanctions were never against Chelsea, they were against Roman Abramovich and Chelsea were a kind of collateral in that there's been a lot a lot of Chelsea supporters I've seen that sort of saying you know why are you punishing the fans and it's like well you're not punishing the fans you're punishing the owner and the reality is is that that the club and therefore the fans become collateral in that but this goes beyond football fandom but if if Abramovich then leaves isn't isn't that oh you know you say okay in a moral sense I completely take the point that Chelsea have already benefited from that but at the reality is, is that if Abramovich was allowed to own Chelsea Football Club and he was allowed to invest in them, then that was always going to happen. Mm. I kind of, I don't have a huge problem with Chelsea being okay now, if if it means that Abramovich isn't there, because the reality is, is that was the point of the sanctions to get rid of Abramovich, not to get rid of Chelsea or anything Abramovich owned in this country. Um, I do take the point that this all feels very after the horse has bolted, which is a different argument. And it, it does sound like this week we may get more you know, more wheels turning on the, the independent regulator argument, which hmm. might at least force some change in that direction. Crikey. That would be, be quite a development. I feel like we haven't given enough love to the extraordinary goal from Kai Havertz, though. Should we just do that just quickly before we move on to uh, Everton, who are next up? on the Totally Football Show agenda. but what, So the ball comes in from Jorginho, and it took several re- reviews, for me at least, to, to work out exactly how Havertz had done this. But it, he, he stops it with his left, takes a step with his right, and then hits it as it bounces back up again. Is that right? Yeah, it's almost like a double movement as well. That's what makes it so extraordinary. He kind of kills it. And then before you've realised what he's done, he's then... Kind of jabbed it into the corner. There was a quite a similar one Deli Ali scored at that same end of Stamford Bridge for Spurs in in 2018. And I saw a few people. Daniel mentioned Dennis Burkamp earlier, kind of name checking him as the you know the kind of player who could do that. But yeah, I mean there are very very few people who could do that. It was extraordinary technique. He's got four goals and an assist in his last three games. Kai Havertz. 
What a player he's turning out to be for Chelsea. Anyway, Newcastle will look to get back to winning ways as they visit Everton uh, Thursday evening. Everton, who this weekend fell to their fifth defeat in six under Frank Lampard. They are now only goal difference outside the bottom three. They do have three games in hand on Watford, although, as it turns out, courtesy of Burnley, those are only useful if you actually win them. Uh, relegation Everton they're not are they but uh, actually are they well let's get a quick catch up now with the voice of the Blue Room podcast Matt Jones and see what he thinks Matt first of all the question I was just asking Everton they're not but are they I think they could I I think they could and I think there was a a general feeling yesterday at Goodison Park that that this is very real you know at full time there was and eerie silence that, that came over the place that I've sort of not heard in my time going the match before. It was like any kind of positivity had been completely sucked out of the 30,000 people that were, were still left in there. And there was a collective, oh my word, this this could actually happen. This team is is that bad and things have, have gotten to this point. So yeah, I think there's there's been a lot of kicking the can down the road this season. I think a lot of people have looked at it and thought, well, things will be all right when Dominic Carvalhoen gets back. Things will be all right when Raphael Benitez is sacked. Things will be all right when we get January signings through the door. And all those things have happened. And, and here Everton are, nine points from 20 Premier League games, the worst team in the league for, for a long spell now, and and staring down the barrel. We, we thought home form might be key for Everton, and it may well prove to be. And I guess the recent performance against Man City when Everton were unfortunate not to at least get a draw in that game maybe pointed towards that. But what did you make of the performance against... Uh, Wolves this Sunday? It was a performance I sort of expected, to be brutally honest, because Wolves are a very capable team that are that are challenging towards the top end of the Premier League. And like I said, Everton, for more than half a season now, have been one of the worst teams in the league. And not just the... Well, they, they've been the worst team in the league. And not just the worst team in the league. They've been, over that spell, one of the worst teams in Premier League history. So I think the home form is something that fans have spoken about a lot recently. I think there's been a a general collective effort from supporters to to make the atmosphere you know really good at Goodison Park to try and get behind the team and to put grievances that we've got with the players with the with the hierarchy aside and think well you know we need to get through to the end of the season first and then assess things and there were times yesterday you know there was an instance early in the game where Ki Chan came off and on and off and on again and it got fans up it got them behind the team it got them on the you know the backs of the opposition but the players didn't really respond to that, and that's that's sort of where we are. I think I think going back to that realization the fans had yesterday, I think part of it was that you know us being raucous and us getting behind these lads is not going to be enough. It's going to take some introspection. It's going to take the, these players and the manager to take some professional pride and get themselves out of this. And based on what we've seen from these players over the course of the season, that's really worrying because I don't really think they've got that in them. Right, you're not seeing any movement in the right direction under Lampard. I think there's, there's been some positive signs early on. I think the game against Manchester City, as you mentioned, there was sort of a blueprint there. Everton played free in midfield, and and they were really good for an hour. But I think what's what's happened in in recent, in the, certainly in the last two games, is that he's probably been a, a little bit naive. Certainly going to Tottenham and playing a high line against one of the best counter-attacking sides in the league was was naive. And then switching to a back three on on Sunday against the team that are very well-versed in that system, uh, are obviously excellent in midfield. Um, was was a strange one because Everton can't play out from the back. They haven't got players that are capable of doing that. And they can't play two in midfield against the Wolves three, who are who are excellent and have, and have dominated Everton in this game in the past. So I think he's 
he's brought some good aspects to the football club. I think he's spoken really well. He's tried to keep the positivity going, but it's getting to the point now where Everton are, are staring down the barrel, like I said. You know, we've got Newcastle on Thursday, which is mm. an enormous game. But then after that, if you look at Everton's fixtures throughout April, you've got West Ham away, you've got Man United at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away. And, and you look at that and you look at Everton's recent form and you think, where on, where on earth are these points coming from? We're on 22 points in March and yeah, it, it's staggering. It, it's very, very bleak and I appreciate Frank Lampard's been given a tough task here because these players are, are so far removed from what I want to see from an Everton team and they've let so many managers down but I think it's there maybe needs to be a bit of realism from him now in regards to what this team is capable of doing Right One word Matt uh, 22 points from 26 league matches this season the lowest ever tally at any stage of a league campaign Remarkable Alright You'll be going along on, on Thursday will you? Yeah I will and I suppose that's all we can do now at this point is, is, is try and get behind them and like I said, leave, leave these grievances we've got with so many players and, and what's going on at the top of the football club at the door because it feels as though if, if the fans turn on, on these lads, um, we've seen away from home that they can't really kick a football in the right direction without 40,000 Evertonians telling them what to do. We've been atrocious away from home. So the only hope we've really got is, is making Goodison Park horrible and, and getting behind them and, and trying to trigger something out of them. But if we can't do that, then it's hard to see a way out of this for Everton. Jones of the Blue Room podcast. Duncan Alexander helpfully tweeting that uh, Everton out of the bottom three on goal difference alone, Liverpool perhaps regretting winning 5-0 at Watford. Mm. Watford, who of course went and got a win this weekend. What a time to go and do that away at Southampton. Where did this come from? No idea, really. It says something about the, the bottom six clubs in the Premier League that Watford had taken, I think, six points from their last 16 games. They've won a game and now they're um, you know, only goal difference away from being outside the bottom three. Um, I mean, Cucho Hernandez has, has certainly turned up. He scored a fabulous goal against Arsenal and he was the game winner again here. That clearly makes a difference. It, it, we are also now, I think, officially we can we can kind of recognise that we're at the start of this, the, the time of the season where clubs like, like Southampton in mid-table will occasionally just not turn up because there's less to play for than there was. And those clubs at the bottom might start picking up points that we don't expect because of that. Um, that generally happens around mid-March onwards. And I think you know Southampton defended terribly against Watford and they are good enough to to take some of the opportunities that come their way. We're also, we're also at that stage in you know, a Watford Premier League season where their squad is sort of buttressed with all these players that in sort of 12 to 18 months you'll forget ever played in the Premier League and they'll be sort of scattered across sub, sub-prime Europe with the, the likes of um, Ido Kayembe, Ozan Tufan, uh, the unfortunately named Imran Loser. But there is an exception and I've got, I think, quite a mad stat. Hassan Kamara, since he joined Watford in January... He's made more tackles than anyone else in the league. He's made more interceptions than anyone else in the league. And he's made more ball recoveries than anyone else in the league. Like, it's a real diamond of a signing and, they, and they've needed him. But he's, I think he's sort of gone under the radar considering he's so statistically significant so far this, this calendar year. All right. There's one who won't end up at Udinese. Uh, meantime... Uh, let's hear from Burnley commentators Phil Bird and Andy Hodgson at the final whistle of their defeat at Brentford. This is not the end. 
no. you know, for mo most of that game, we dominated it. So they can bounce around all they like. They could still go down as well. Can they, though? Brentford are now eight <laughs> points clear of the bottom three. It looks like with Ivan Tony's return and the dramatic return as well of uh, Christian Eriksen, that the Bees are going to be OK. Considering this was the only, uh, you know, kickoff in the 3pm hallowed Saturday afternoon slot, it was a real dirty protest of a game. It was, it was awful. I was listening on the radio and Pat Nevin was doing his sort of best supportive dad act. He's saying, this is, this is a low quality game, but that's all right. You know what Pat's like. <laughs> uh, you know, it ta it ta takes all sorts to, to, to make a football game. And the, um, it was exemplified by Dwight McNeil's amazingly bad header. You see, one-on-one yeah. -on -one proper like 50p head stuff, and yeah, Burnley Burnley do look doomed, and I think you can sort of see that in in the the stuttering form of their forwards, both of whom started amazingly. Like uh, you know, Cornet was excellent when he started; has mm. scored one goal since December, and even Veghorst. Like I wonder if he's playing on an injury because he doesn't look like the same player that we saw in the first couple of games where he got a couple of assists and a goal. So yeah, I, I think Burnley are, are they're they're down. All right, Daniel, you're going to make a point about their form against direct rivals. Yeah, they are. They used to be their thing. I think 2018, 19, and 19, 20, they took kind of around two, 2.1, 2.2 points per game against the worst clubs in the league, the bottom six. And they've got, they've got six points from eight matches this season against Newcastle, Brentford, Leeds, Everton, Watford, and Norwich, which is, is simply not good enough um, because they, they don't seem any more to spook the biggest teams in the league, uh, which doesn't. <laughs> you know, a very obvious thing to say, but it leaves you with a very small pool of clubs that you're hoping to beat. Um, mm. They do generally do all right against that kind of mid-table pack. They do always do all right in late season in, in the situations we've just talked about, which is against teams with nothing to play for. But they really need to because, you know, this, this notion, I think we've all kind of been slightly hoodwinked into assuming that Burnley will somehow be okay and therefore it has to be one of Everton and Leeds that get dragged into it. But... If Burnley aren't good enough and Burnley don't win enough games, then they'll stay exactly where they are. Maybe both teams were a little complacent knowing they couldn't be lower than third on the match of the day running order. It's a bit of a, <laughs> a, a middle finger up to that. And boy, did they take that opportunity. Uh, Leeds, uh, meantime, also pulling a little bit further away from trouble with a 2-1 victory over Norwich. How was this? It was, it was incredibly nervous. Um, it was, you know, Leeds scored and then knew that they had enough. They knew they needed to win. This was clearly must win for them and for Jesse Marsh. They missed a huge number of chances. They hit the bar twice and everybody in Ellen Road knew that there was a Norwich goal coming. But <laughs> what they, I don't think what they did predict is that Joe Gellhart would come on immediately after the Norwich goal and pop up and score the winner, which, you know, that is a, you know, without res resorting to a hyperbole, that is a complete season changer for right. Leeds. Norwich's equaliser in the 91st minute. We can all imagine how that must have felt at Ellen mm. Road. But uh, Gohart in the 94th minute, restoring the three points to Leeds. They were still singing You're Not Singing Anymore. More <laughs> the Norwich fans were more or less up until the moment the ball went in, which was quite amusing. Right. Those celebrations, those celebrations were just brilliant as well. It's why I think that that really some of the best drama in the Premier League is reserved for those sort of relegation six-pointers. That was just amazing. I, I love to see it, even though, you know, um, you know, I don't have any fond memories of relegation scraps, but yeah, it was brilliant. Hmm. All right. Patrick Bamford making his first start since September in that game, amongst other good news for Jesse Marsh's side. The other Premier League game this weekend was 
Benji, West Ham 2, Aston Villa 1. You went along to this. One of the moments of the season, we talked about a Gelhart's goal, but the Andrew uh, Yamalenko scoring and then breaking down, that was uh, extraordinarily emotional. Yeah, totally. I mean, he's one of these players that sort of, you know, encapsulates the, 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 the tragedy of the situation. He was actually he was born in St. Petersburg, Yamalenko. He's... But obviously he's, he's Ukrainian. He's had a tough couple of seasons as well. You know, he's, he actually hadn't scored a Premier League goal since two seasons ago. Ironically, not ironically, but it was against Villa as well. And here he was, a little blast in the past. You know, a bit of Yama magic, and he broke down straight away afterwards. And actually, it was the decisive moment in the game. Um, Villa have been on brilliant form, and we managed to find a way to beat them despite actually being very, very even. The nicest thing for for me was seeing the Aston Villa fans clapping Yarmolenko as well. I mean, that is obviously the right thing to do, and it's obviously the it should you feel like it should be the the natural thing to do. But if football has taught us anything in recent weeks, it's that tribalism extends a little bit further than we might like, and therefore it was brilliant to see Villa fans. You know, yes, they're not going down. Yes, they're not com- necessarily competing for anything, so it's easier in that situation. But good on them for recognising that moment. Yeah, it's funny they weren't they weren't quite as as um, charitable by the away fan buses on the way out. But I mean, the um, <laughs> the the w- one quick note on Villa It's the first time I've seen Jacob Ramsey in the flesh, and he is a player. I, re- I really think that he's a Rolls Royce of a player. He sort of he was, the, he was probably the best player on the pitch, despite the fact that he, you know he was next to Coutinho and up against Declan Rice, wanted the ball, carried it beautifully. And um, to, you know, wanted, I'd like to make a stupid prediction. I reckon he could start for England mm. at the World Cup. And the World um, Cup I final, think... which, which one? <laughs> uh, this, this, this one. The this guitar, one here? I think, he'll, I think he could start for England. I think he's that good. All right. A bolter, as they call them. Mm. Returning to West Ham briefly, Benji Yamalenko had come on for Mikel Antonio who was one of two major injuries in this game for the Hammers. Uh, Aaron Cresswell, the other. Not great news ahead of your attempts to come back from 1-0 down against Seville this Thursday. Yeah, no, it's not ideal. But to, to be honest, I'm quite philosophical about West Ham at the moment. We're having mm. such a such a good time. There was this mm. surreal moment last Thursday, which was four years to the day uh, of that, uh, the, the Burnley 3-0 game where the fans stormed the pitch and the, the fans were sort of, you know, in the moat in between the, uh, under the director's box and Noble was tackling fans like absolute mess. And on, this, on that day, la- last Thursday, um, Julian Lopetegui was name-checking Craig Dawson in a press conference ahead of a knockout game in the Europa League in which West Ham were participating. And it was this real sort of like up-is-down moment. And, and um, I think we've just got to enjoy it. And if Antonio's out, fine. We've got a Yama that's got a bit of confidence in him. And actually, Johnson, uh, Ben Johnson, the young kid from the academy, switched over to left-back when Cresswell went off and he played really well and Fredrickson mm. did all right. And all right. So let's see. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be a, it will be probably the best atmosphere ever at the Olympic Stadium. I know that's not saying much, but um, I'm really, really excited about it on Thursday. For a West Ham game. Yeah, it's harsh yes, on Mo uh, Farah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say West Ham, they felt, continuing on for the Mo Farah mention, they have felt like a distance runner in this sort of European push that's been blowing since about November. And somehow, just when you think the pack's pulling away from them, they'll sort of haul themselves back into it. And this was another one I thought, I can see them dropping points here after Sevilla. Um, And somehow they're still just about in that conversation for certainly the European places and at a push, the top four. 
Well, yeah, they're only three points behind Arsenal themselves. Who knows, Benji, uh, where we could be, where they could be when we talk about this a year from now. Anyway, uh, for now, Daniel's got to leave us because he's got some important journalism things to do. <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us today, uh, Daniel. Look forward to reading the results of that in the eye. Good luck to Charlie Eccleshow in the quiz. Ah, right. Thank and you, that's Daniel. up next for us because it is into Totally Cup match eight when we return after this brief intermission. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Listener, The Totally Football Show Live is back on the road. As you know, we're going to be at The Lowry in Manchester. That's on the 19th of April. Head to thelowry.com for tickets if you want one. I now understand we'll also be heading to Birmingham, the Glee Club. That's on the 10th of May. If you want some glee in your life, the Glee Club is the place to get it on the 10th of May, and probably most other days as well. Anyway, you can use the link, which is booking.glee.co.uk stroke 18955, like something the Home Office would issue, uh, to buy tickets. Excellent. Totally Football League shows out on Monday. Lots to talk about there, including Nottingham Forest winning 4-0. And Saida Berahino with a hat-trick for Sheffield Wednesday. Ooh. Athletic Women's Football Podcast out on Tuesday. They'll talk about the greatest team in the world, Barcelona Femini, and all sorts of other stuff as well. And as previously mentioned in this show, Totally Football Show European Edition is with you pretty much from midnight on Monday, well, Tuesday morning. Uh, looking forward to a big week in the Champions League and Europa League and, yes, the Conference League too. Crikey, a uh, key component in the Totally Football Show European Edition, James Horncastle joins us now because it's time for Intertotally Cup Match 8. Hello, James. Hello, everybody. Right. Intertotally, Thursday, the world's greatest totally football show-based in-house quiz saw your expected Coxie's going to cruise it narrative chewed up and spat out as Daniel Storey became the first man to beat Cox. Wait, that could sound better. In the modern era. Uh, next, Daniel will be facing Flo Lloyd Hughes, who saw of Sasha. The other quarterfinal lineups being a Julian against Benji, Duncan against Lindsay, and Don Fifield against the winner of our last first round game. And let's meet the contestants for that. Up first. He's a writer and podcaster for The Athletic whose mantra is eat, sleep, drink, watch Premier League years repeat. Never knowingly underquizzed, it's Charlie Ecclesher. Nuanced music choice there, Charlie. Nice. So first time (laughs) in the quiz, welcome. Thank you very much. A lot of of people have been talking you up. There's a dark horse, perhaps even a favourite this year. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. I feel a bit like... Belgium in the 2014 World Cup where mm. the potential for a lot of buzz and build-up and then uh, everyone being disappointed. But, you know, right. it's nice to hear it, but we'll see. Excellent. Well, you've warmed up by being on the show. So, uh, hoping for some questions on what's behind what for this revival, that kind of thing. But <laughs> let's meet now your opponent. Again, brackets. Here he is. And his opponent, 
He's a totally OG who's been business at the front and party at the back since day one. Hailing from the eternal city of Hull, James Horn Castle. Damn. James. Yes, indeed. Two-time quarterfinalist, James Horncastle. James. Hello, everybody. Mm. Podium finish this time around. What's your target? Well, given I cover Italy, mm. uh, first round exit of uh, <laughs> the World Cup in 2010, first down yeah. exit in 2014, didn't even qualify right. in 2018, might not even qualify for 2022. Let's see. Okay. All right. God, what a run that would be for Italy, though. I mean, Euros, Eurovision, 100 metres at the Olympics, mm. and now this, potentially, for James Horncastle. Right, and the city of Hull as well. <laughs> Let's not forget Hull. I, I yeah. Get further than Jules. That's got to be priority uno, no? Uh, it, always. Always. Excellent. All right, well, uh, the winner today will progress to the quarterfinals, of course, and take on Dom Fifield, but they'll also win £10, which Paddy Power will place on a bet of your choosing, with the winnings going to a charity of your choice. Uh, Charlie, what's your charity? Uh, Alzheimer's Society is my okay. charity. And what's your uh, wager? Atletico to beat United in 90 minutes tomorrow. Okay, good one. All right, James Horncastle, your charity? It is Dementia UK, James. All right, and what's your bet going to be? My bet, and this is kind of an insight into Italian football culture, is a classic gufata. Mm. So it's Lazio will beat Roma in the Ooh. derby next weekend. Crikey. All right, then. A game that's going to be live, uh, by the way, on BT Sport this uh, Sunday from 4.45, let me just mention. Anyway, the contest we're talking about right now is the Intertotally. And James, you're up first. James, question one. Who is missing? from this list of permanent Tottenham managers. Jacques Santini, Martin Yole, Mr. X, Harry Redknapp, Andre Villas-Boas. Who's the missing man? Jacques Santini, Martin Yole. Is the next one Harry Redknapp? It is. Okay. Hmm. The listener's head is exploding at this moment, James. Yeah, my head is exploding as well, James. Um, After Martin Yol, before Harry Redknapp, who was it? Uh, I don't want to guess because I, 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 I want to actually get this right. Right. Um, so... There is a sort of a time limit on... Is there? Yeah. Uh, my flight's not until 3.35, so... Yeah. I um, okay, this is, this is going to be embarrassing. Um, so, mine, y'all. Who, who replaced y'all? I always thought it was... No, have to press you for an answer there, James. Yep, I know you do, James. That's, uh, that's great presenting from you, great quiz mastering. Um, nicely, nicely earned eight seconds with that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all I've got is no, I've, I've all I've got is is before and after, which is terrible. Right. Um, Y'all and so then read that, but I know it's not uh, Christine Gross, but for the, for the sake of of ah oh, no, it's Juan de Ramos. Yes, Jesus Christ, Juan Day, you're going to answer that question. <laughs> 
Last man to win a trophy with Spurs. Yeah. Right, Don nice. Fraudcastle, as Charlie Eccleshare calls me, um, <laughs> defrauding my way into a correct, correct answer. That was Ooh. extraordinary. Mm. That was extraordinary. There was switching off the lights in the stadium when that one came, came through. All right. Question two then, James. Who am I? I am a Brazilian midfielder signed by a northeast club in the mid-2000s from Barcelona. I was runner-up in the Europa League and left for sporting. Who am I? Brazilian midfielder yes. signed by a northeast club in the mid-2000s from Barcelona. Runner-up in the Europa League hmm. and left for sporting. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I've got like Fabio Rockenbach in my head. Interesting predicament to have. Um, so, Giovanni. Uh, James is Fabio Rockenbach. Ah, uh, well, I gave the answer, and you just didn't didn't respond. I mean, well, I mean, that is unbelievable deflection. I'm going to go to the adjudication panel. Did James give the answer, producer Jolie? Yeah. I, I don't think I you gave us an answer. I, I, you've, I, you've, you've done me there. You've, you've, you, Richardson in particular, with a faint, <laughs> just like unbelievable. You, you put the doubt in my head. That's unacceptable quiz mastering. Fair enough. Okay, go ahead. Question three then. Who is the only player from Algeria to win the Premier League? Uh, it's going to be Riyad Mahrez. Is correct. Question four. Which Scottish Premiership team plays at Tynecastle? Hearts, is it? It is Hearts. Shoving those correct answers right back down my throat, James. Good to see. Question five. Three teams have won the World Cup only twice. In 2018, France became the third of them. Can you name one of the other two? So, sorry, repeat the question. So there are three nations that have won the World Cup twice and only twice. Ah, only twice. Mm. Uruguay. Is correct. So, James Horncastle. I mean, you've done me on rocking back there. Well, to be fair, you've done done yourself by answering Giovanni. (laughs) But, well, (laughs) listeners will be the judge on that. Anyway, so four out of five, I've got to say, that's a pretty fine bit of first round scoring, no, James? Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to get over Rockenback. So, right. uh, uh, over to over to Eccleshare. Let's use that pin that on your mental got. dressing room wall. Uh, Charlie yeah. Eccleshare, you're up next. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go then, Charlie. Question one: Who is missing from this list of permanent Chelsea managers? Jose Mourinho, Avram Grant, Mister X, Carlo Ancelotti, Andre Villas-Boas. So after Avram Grant. And before, Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Scolari. It's Charlie. Is correct. (laughs) Is correct, Charlie. Question two. Who am I? I am a Brazilian centre-back signed by a London club in the mid-2000s, but I was parked on loan at PSV before playing in the Premier League. I won one league title and left for PSG. Just repeat that. He joined in the... So he was signed by a London club in the mid-2000s. He's a Brazilian centre-back. They sent him on loan to PSV before he did come to the Premier League, won a league title and left for PSG. Alex. Is correct. 
is correct. Question three. Who is the only player from South Korea to win the Premier League? Park Ji-sung. Is correct. Question four. This to pull level with James Horncastle. Which Scottish Premiership team plays at Pitodry? Aberdeen. Is correct. Which means question five is now the decider. This to take you through to a clash with Don Fifield in the quarterfinal. In 2018, Didier Deschamps became the third person to win the World Cup as a player and a coach. Can you name one of the other two? Won it as a player and a coach. You still there, listener? Mm. It's not Juan de Ramos. Mm. <laughs> I'm just wondering whether he would have won it. Uh... Mm. James, do you feel like a player who was wasting time early on in the game, trying to run down the clock, and now needs <laughs> all the time to... Yeah, but in reflection, I think that hmm. then was karma for the rock and back. Oh, uh, right. But mm. Charlie's on his last question, so karma's not going to come and hit That's him. That's true. And so, Well, it could in the tie-break round. Mm. Oh, yeah. I don't get this. Back yourself, Charlie. Back yourself. You, you can still get this correct. I'm just wondering whether this guy I'm thinking of is one of those was a low key player. Um, mm. I'm thinking, did Marcello Lippi? Obviously, he won it in 2006. Would he have been knocking around in '82? Is that uh, a thought process, or is that very much time? a thought process? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't get internal, asked that. Unbelievable. This, this is this is my. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to press you for an answer. Though, internal monologue. Who's it going to be? One of the two other men to win a World Cup as both a player and a coach. Didier Deschamps was one. One of the other two? Valdano. Incorrect. You could have had Mario Zagallo with Brazil oh. or a certain Franz Beckenbauer. Wow. It's missing a match point, that. Yeah, but excitingly, <laughs> listener. Excitingly, listener, that means we're into tiebreaker mode. What happens is I read out a question. There's a certain number that's the correct answer. Charlie and James will both text me their guesses and whoever or certain answers and whoever's closest will be through to the quarterfinals crikey here it is the tiebreaker Sergio Aguero has the best goals to games ratio of the Premier League's all-time top 10 scorers but how many starts did it take for him to score his 184 league goals for Manchester City how many starts did it take for Sergio Aguero to score is 184 league goals for Manchester City. Charlie, have you sent? No. Have you, James? Char James Charlie's has, speaking. yeah. Yes, yeah, I have, yeah. I just thought it was rapid fire, so I just... <laughs> I'm guessing, so... Well, listener, both answers have now come in. And it's tight... James Horncastle answers 287 starts for Manchester City. Charlie Ecosher answers 270 starts for Manchester City. The correct number of Manchester City starts that Sergio Aguero took to score his 184 league goals was... 275. Charlie Ecosher, you're in the quarterfinals. Oh, my word. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's what it means. Wow. Just wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> James, uh, I have to say, you were an incredibly worthy opponent there. And, uh, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a bitter defeat to swallow. Yeah, I still haven't got over question two. But um, to go to a tie break, uh, for the tie break to be that close as well. Mm, um, yeah. I, I don't think you'll see a better round of the Totally Quiz this year. <laughs> That's got to be one of the highest scoring scoring uh, competitions, right? We did have four, a... 4-4. Four. I think we had a 5 out of 5 against a 4 out of 5. So, um, okay. you know, but yeah, I mean, it was no question, absolute that, quality. That felt like a final. Yeah. Um, so. And for you, it was, James. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Charlie, you're through to the next round of the Intertotally Cup. And if, like Charlie, you think Atletico Madrid will beat Man United in the Champions League this midweek, it's priced at 13-5 to 5 on PaddyPower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Charlie, uh, brilliant. All right, so Dom Firefield next for you. How do you feel? Dom's a really tough opponent. Mm, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I think that'll be a very, very... Um, He's got a real breadth to his knowledge, does Dom. So not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. Indeed. But congratulations anyway. I'll make it to the quarterfinals. All right, Benji, you're in there. You're in the mix as well, aren't you? Sure am. I, 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 I just want to say I've got all of those apart from rock and back. So I feel <laughs> fighting fit. I feel fighting fit. I'm, I'm, I'm on my A game. Back on my A game, Jimbo. Damn. All right. Excellent. Well, looking forward to another round of said competition uh, in our next show, which is Thinks Very Hard Thursday. So, uh, yeah, not sure who's in that one, but uh, listen out for that. That's it for today's Totally Football Show. Many, many thanks to uh, Daniel earlier and, of course, James Horncastle and Charlie and Benji, producer Charlie and you, listener. Have a terrific time until we speak next. And now from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.